This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. You're listening to Live and Learn with me, Dashran Johan. My guest on today's show is Neta Hussain, an Indian-born medical doctor and a dedicated Wikipedian. She's renowned for her tireless efforts in countering COVID-19 misinformation on Wikipedia. In 2020, she received the Women in Open Source Academic Award, recognizing her contributions in disseminating and sharing medical knowledge and information in Wikipedia. Welcome to the show, Neta. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm doing very, very good. Yeah. <laughs> so let's start with a bit of your background. Can you tell us uh, a bit about your journey and how you became a Wikipedian? I started editing Wikipedia in 2009. At that time, I was not confident enough uh, to start an account. So I used to edit as an unregistered user. At that time, I was at the first year of my medical studies uh, in medical school. And um, I used to write a little bit about articles related to medicine, things that I learned from medical school. And after I became confident in 2010, I started my own account on Wikipedia and I started writing mostly about Indian culture, biographies of women, and also most particularly about medicine. And once I learned this editing technique, I was hooked into that. And I wrote a lot of medicine-related articles. I mostly uh, would go to medical school in the morning, and then I would understand the concepts that were taught there. Then I would come back home, look at Wikipedia articles, and see if there is anything missing from what I learned in the morning. And I would write about these things on Wikipedia. And this was how I also improved my knowledge in medicine, you know, by sharing information. So you say it started in 2009. So I'm guessing you were a teenager or, or something slightly older than that, around that age. Um, I'm, I'm curious, um, many people use Wikipedia. Um, you said you started editing Wikipedia in 2009. Um, and the way you phrased it, it's, it's something you do regularly, um, consistently. Why? How did that become an interest of yours? Yeah, um, so I lived in India at that time and I was a first year student uh, at the medical school. Right. There was so much to study and I had to refer a lot of books from the library to be able to understand many concepts in medicine. And I soon figured out that it's very expensive to buy these books and to have them at my own home. So I had to make frequent visits to the library. And in 2009, it was not so common to have reliable medical medical information online on websites. So I decided that, look, there is such a lacuna in terms of uh, medical knowledge on the internet, and I wanted to do something about it. And I think this was the reason why I kept doing this, because I wanted to spread reliable medical information online when there was such a lot of misinformation related to medicine on the internet. Right. And how did your background in medicine um, influence your work as a Wikipedian, especially as the years went on? I think it had such a great influence because being a medical doctor, being a student of science, I always knew, you know, what it means to have evidence, what it means to have a reliable source, what it means to be verifiable. So all these principles that you apply when you write a scientific articles, these uh, were important for me even as a medical doctor. And uh, at the same time, I also was, was seeing patients. I would see pa a lot of patients who were misguided. They would do wrong treatments. They would delay their treatments precisely because they heard some misinformation somewhere. So these were all the factors that kept me going. 
And in 2016, I moved to Sweden to do my um, PhD in clinical neuroscience. So after reaching there, I was supposed to write academic articles. And I got training um, in academic writing as a PhD student. And this also helped and this also helped my way of writing articles on Wikipedia, because writing on Wikipedia is essentially like writing an academic article by sourcing references from different places, by understanding, you know, the evidence, and by <clears throat> collating a lot of references and putting up them in a coherent order, so that it's easy for, you know, a lay person to read and understand. You know, I find that so fascinating, because um, Wikipedia has an interesting reputation. Um, on the one hand, it is a site where everybody uses. I think the, most people for their primary information, uh, whether it's um, movies, it's culture, it's languages, it's news, it's historical things, it's politics, people go to Wikipedia, right? But Wikipedia also has this reputation of not being a credible um, sort of a source to go and look for these information. I'm wondering how you sort of see that, right? Um, because you're, like you said, you're someone who went to medical college and medical college is all about the evidence, it's all about the citing, it's the academic research and all of that has to be on point. And then at the same time, you're talking about Wikipedia or getting into Wikipedia, which is a very useful source of information. But at the same time, um, probably your lecturers in universities told you don't use Wikipedia. You cannot cite Wikipedia for your for your assignments and your academic research and all. Um, how do you see that? How do you contextualize that? It's very interesting to say that everybody will tell you to not use Wikipedia, <laughs> but on the other hand, everybody uses it anyway. <laughs> and for lay people, it's quite hard uh, to go to an academic article and to understand what's the evidence behind it. So people rely on easier sources for understanding. So when you look at the traffic, you see that there is such a lot of people who look at articles related to, say, stroke or Alzheimer's disease or menstrual cycle, for example. So then I understand that it's quite important that these articles are reliable. And if you look at the article for stroke example, for example, it's written in such a beautiful way that um, I am so afraid to go there and make a change, <laughs> thinking that it will break the article. So it has been perfected by, you know, thousands, maybe Ten thousands of people, including medical doctors like me and others, and that and that has made the article close to perfect. So this crowdsourcing part of Wikipedia has helped <clears throat> make this article so 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 very updated and reliable. But on the other hand, there are also several articles on Wikipedia which are not looked at by many people, which are not edited by many people. There might be misinformation in these articles, and one has to apply discretion while looking at them. <laughs> and for me, I would always advise anybody looking at Wikipedia for information to also go, go back to the citations, the citations that are given underneath the article, and go through these citations and understand what, what's going on. So not just to rely on the, you know, textual content, but also, you know, go through the references. And Wikipedia is a good, you know, first place to land 
when you do not know anything about the topic it's not for experts it's it's for lay people to understand something i'm not a rocket scientist but if i need to know something about rocket science i would probably go to wikipedia and make my first understanding of what rocket science is and then go through the references and make you know further understanding about the topic so wikipedia is your first landing page to understand you to gather a basic understanding about something but not a platform for you know doing research or writing your academic article i'm very curious why did you choose to become a doctor um so many reasons i just wanted to help people basically and if i would become a doctor i would see people in my real life and i will be able to interact with them i will be able to understand first hand about their problems so this was the my main motivation to get into medical school but then i understood that if i talk one to one i would be able to help only one person at a time on the other hand if i write on wikipedia it i will be helping very many people at the same time because once i write the article it's out there for everybody to read so i do these two things you know help one person at a time and help many people at a time by doing two different things Yeah. Neta, I'm wondering um if your experience as a medical student in Kerala um perhaps in fact even growing up in Kerala how it shaped your interests and your perspective. And I ask this because Kerala is a very interesting state when it comes to politics, um political perspectives. Um they are uh, highly left leaning states politically uh, most would agree um you know they have been governed by let's say parties like the cpi um and, and you know it's very unique in in that sense right even in india but even at a global level um emphasizing on highly progressive policies especially with regard to healthcare as a human right and and so on and so forth i'm wondering if growing up in kerala has shaped your views definitely so and i um, i studied in a government medical college in kerala and i grew up i mean i grew up in kerala until age 26 i lived in kerala and uh, you know the perspectives of the government the perspectives of people around me the perspectives of the open knowledge movement around me has influenced the person that i am and because of the left leaning nature of the state there was so much emphasis on equality human rights you know um, improvement of you know quality of life of the general people but not not just the rich to decrease the rich poor divide and so forth so there was such a lot of encouragement for volunteering work be it you know whatever you could volunteer in your medical college to donate blood you could volunteer at places hit by floods or catastrophes to uh, you know help serve people out there people would you know join together spontaneously in groups and you know they work for a mission and they they are probably successful this we would this so in 2018 when kerala faced uh, a massive flood people just organized together you know doctors organized um um health workers organized um so uh, engineers organized to create apps uh, to help people you know to coordinate so um, there is such strong feeling of solidarity among people to do volunteering to and to achieve some particular goal and i think this strong sense of volunteering to help people has come from you know the background that i have been in and also the platform that you know um, this left leaning state provided so while working in medical college i am seeing that there are so many groups donating blood to people who are in need there are groups for the do- young doctors to go and visit old age homes and help um, 
people in need uh, who who need healthcare facilities there so i'm around me i'm seeing lots of volunteers group volunteering groups and um i was like okay i also have to do something and so this kind of thought was always in the background and i think volunteering to wikipedia came as very effortlessly and that was particularly because of you know the nature of the environment that i grew up in yeah absolutely I think that's a very fascinating response and let's go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Neta Hussain. He's the recipient of the 2020 Women in Open Source Academic Award. We continue our conversation after the break. Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Darshan Yohan and on the show with me today is Neeta Hussain, an Indian-born medical doctor and a dedicated Wikipedian. She's known for her tireless efforts in countering COVID-19 misinformation on Wikipedia. So Neeta, let's let's talk about that. Um in mid-2020, you began focusing on COVID-19 related Wikipedia articles in multiple languages. Um talk to me a little bit about this. Yeah, in 2020, I had just um disputed my PhD. and i was thinking about what what else to do in life and just then covid pandemic happened and this was for me a way to use my previous knowledge my understanding of wikipedia my academic background my experience as a medical doctor to be able to help people so i used this time to write articles related to covid-19 of course i needed to know about covid-19 as a doctor uh, i needed to update related to relevant research related to this so i spent a significant amount of time understanding about covid-19 so i thought why not just naturally write about that on wikipedia and then i started <clears throat> writing about covid-19 in <clears throat> on wikipedia and i saw that very many people are reading it on wikipedia we have possibility to track the traffic of the articles and i saw that these articles are being read more and more every day and that made me more and more curious and you know dedicated to writing articles about covid-19 and out of this one day i saw i saw a newspaper article which said that there was a family in india which ate a poisonous fruit thinking that it would prevent them from getting covid-19 and this you know hurt me so much that you know it's misinformation which they got from social media that made them do it and the whole family was hospitalized and they were severely sick so i wanted to do not i wanted to not only give good information to people but i also wanted to flag misinformation and say that look this is misinformation and don't eat this poisonous fruit to prevent getting covid-19 and so forth there was such a lot of misinformation on the internet so i created articles surrounding misinformation i created uh, the list of unproven methods against covid-19 which listed uh, all the preventive methods and treatment methods diagnostic methods that re- that do not really work against covid-19 but they are quite you know spreading on social media um so this was one of the prominent articles that worked that i worked on at that time i also wrote about covid-19 and how it affects different aspects of life such as covid-19 in pregnancy mental health in covid-19 um and so forth i was also watching um you know several organizations and how they were responding to the pandemic such as the world health organization's uh, response to the covid-19 pandemic so this kept me very busy at um, busy at the moment i was also a frontline worker for covid-19 i worked in the family health center quite close to my home uh, working with 
people having all kinds of diseases, but most particularly COVID-19. So it was quite um, a <clears throat> difficult time for me, both as a doctor, as a Wikimedian, and as a researcher to be able to, you know, spread information and disseminate in different ways, not just to the patients, but also online using Wikipedia. How big was of a problem was misinformation, um, whether in Kerala or India as a whole? I mean, it, it was huge all over the world, right? Even in Malaysia, um, the government had to constantly battle and, and the people, civil society, had to constantly battle misinformation um, to promote vaccination and, and things like that. Um, how big of a challenge was misinformation in, in India at the time? I think it was such a huge problem in India when it comes to, you know, misinformation related to COVID-19. And what you see on the internet is only a tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. There is such a lot of misinformation going around among patients, particularly through social media and particularly through, you know, the platforms like TikTok and WhatsApp. On WhatsApp, it's like an echo chamber. I mean, you don't see what's happening within these groups. And this, you cannot look up the internet to see what's happening in, you know, smaller WhatsApp groups, which are privacy protected and uh, people would go into these echo chambers and you know make some false understanding about the pathology of the disease or treatment methods or diagnostic methods and so forth and share it to their loved ones probably out of concern i mean um, they are they are not spreading it out of malice but mm -hmm. they wanted to spread it to their loved ones to ensure that they get this kind of right information but Sadly, this would be misinformation. So that kind of thing was happening. And this I know firsthand from people I know who consulted me for advice related to COVID-19. And I saw that they are eating garlic for preventing getting COVID-19, doing some kind of breathing exercises to drinking, you know, stop getting COVID-19. Drinking so rasam. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and uh, this concerned me. And right. I tried my best to do what I could mm -hmm. do. But it's only if I would meet one in one and try to make one person understand it's only one person at a time, which was why, again, I started putting that up on Wikipedia and sending these links to people. And people are generally happy with uh, Wikipedia links because uh, um, then they have, they have something to send to other people. If I would just talk to them one-to-one, -one, they would just have information on their own. So um, I think these links were also circulated in, you know, these kind of WhatsApp groups when uh, some people wanted to counter uh, the misinformation that somebody else had done. They had to just send a part of the link or, you know, get a screenshot of the Wikipedia article and send it around on social media. This article was also translated to Malayalam by another doctor. So the Malayalam version was also available for sending like this. So I think... Um, People could you now people had something to show other people to say that look what misinformation you are showing, uh, what information that you are showing you is misinformation, and there is kind of proof from Wikipedia. On Wikipedia, it says that this doesn't work, so this is the evidence and so forth. Um, so I think that kind of helped people working on you know WhatsApp misinformation or TikTok misinformation or generally social media information to you know share links to this kind of articles from Wikipedia. What is the most bizarre misinformation misinformation you came across and had to remove? And also, what was the most common misinformation? I think the most common one uh, was about eating something. Right. It could be eating garlic, eating ginger to prevent, uh, you know, COVID-19. So it, particularly eating something, you know, spicy or hot uh, <laughs> to prevent COVID-19 from getting. I think that comes from the, you know, idea that um, if you have cold or um, pneumonia, 
there was this traditional medicine that favored you to eat something, you know, a spicy so that you kind of forget your disease for the time being and you focus on the spiciness. So that was something. Um, bizarre misinformation was to inject something uh, to prevent getting COVID-19. Yikes. So you would get syringes and uh, then you would try and, you know, add make some uh, medicine at home and try and inject it into your veins. I don't know if somebody ever did it, but this was one of the misinformation that circulated. What were the challenges you faced when you were trying to combat misinformation about covid uh, the main challenge was to try and find where misinformation existed. Mm. So there was some misinformation that you could kind of identify from the internet. Um, you could look for websites that collate misinformation real time, um, which really helped me because the there were debunking websites where you could go and look at and see that this was misinformation and so forth. So that was very helpful. But on the other hand, there were also a lot of misinformation that never surfaced on the internet or that surfaced in different languages than English or Malayalam or Swedish that I did not speak. And I did not have friends who spoke those languages to help me. So, and misinformation, it's particularly tight-knit with the culture that the people are from. So if in India, a lot of misinformation is related to ayurvedic medicine it's not it's not um, real ayurvedic medicine that they are saying but they would twist uh, the names of the you know plants and um, the medicinal formula from ayurvedic medicine and say use that you know uh, to um, say that um, this combats covid-19 and so forth so misinformation is has such a big cultural context so if you do not understand the cultural context of people from, say, um, Africa or the United States or uh, Brazil, for example, then you are losing it out. So I think the main challenge was to understand misinformation from outside of the area of expertise and area of um, work that I'm doing um, and to understand what was going on in other countries and other contexts and other cultural practices. Cultural practices is so fascinating because you're absolutely on point um, in the sense that even in Malaysia, um, when it comes to COVID-19 uh, conspiracy theories or misinformation, especially with regards to food or, or breathing exercises, all these kinds of things, right? You would see, um, you know, among the ethnic Indians, um, you'll have one type of misinformation. Then you go, when I talk to my ethnic Chinese friends, there's a whole different things their grandmother is telling them to do. Then you go and talk to the ethnic yeah. Malays, their grandmother is telling them to do something else. You know, and it's so interesting. I'm wondering, within the Indian context... Do you get, because India is so culturally diverse, ethnically diverse, I'm wondering like between, um, let's say the Malayalis and the Tamils and the Telungus, between let's say Tamil Nadu and Kerala, do you get interesting differences when it comes to misinformation? Um, I'm not quite sure here. I think uh, India was, of course, I understand that India is hugely culturally diverse. But when it comes to misinformation, there is this kind of cross-pollination. <laughs> like people tend to, you know, take misinformation from other places and right. you know, use it in their own context within India, right. but uh, not outside of India. They have their own yeah. um, misinformation. So I saw that there is this pattern that if some misinformation surfaces out in some part of South India, it eventually spreads to North India as well because I think the basis of everything is herbal medicine most often. And in that case, if you 
um, if any, uh, if a Kerala thinks that they eat garlic for curing COVID-19, it's very likely that somebody from northern Rajasthan is also doing the same thing. So misinformation has no boundaries within India, but I think it has, and also Indian diaspora. Indian diaspora is also following the same thing, whether it be in Malaysia or Absolutely. China or the United States or the UK. Um, the Indian diaspora is following the same misinformation that originates from this Indian herbal medicine. But otherwise, I don't see so much of a difference between, you know, between Indians, but with Indians and, you know, other cultures. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think that's just an interesting thought that came to mind. I'm, I'm you know, just moving slightly um, away from, you know, debunking COVID-19 um, uh, misinformation. Um, as I understand you also, when it comes to the, the whole Wikipedia, Wikimedia yeah, we movement, um, as I understand, you also organized um, Wikipedia outreach events for women and sexual minorities. Um, tell me a little bit about this. Yeah, it was in uh, 2009, again, the year that I joined Wikimedia movement, that I read a blog post from the then CEO of the Wikimedia Foundation that only 9% of women, 9% um, of the editors on Wikipedia are women. And she also... Right. Um, enumerated several reasons why women do not edit Wikipedia. They do not have discretionary time. They think that some of the, you know, user um, interfaces that Wikipedia has is off-putting for women. Some women face harassment and some women um, think that there is bias towards women and that's why they do not contribute and so forth. So this deeply worried me as a woman. Uh, and I wanted to do something about it. And I went to colleges and schools in um, Kerala and helping them to try and edit Wikipedia. So I would organize events, particularly for women, but also sometimes for everybody uh, to write um, articles about uh, women. And we would also conduct editing months where we would dedicate a month for writing about women or writing about LGBTQI individuals or writing about anything um, that concerns, you know, um, gender minorities or women. Um, so when you dedicate this month and when you give out prizes or when you do events concerning um, women's um, editathons, then it's very likely that more women join and more content related to women is created. Um, so that was something that I once did and I still keep doing. But in when after having moved to Sweden in 2016, I'm mostly doing online events and online programs. Um, in India, it was way more vibrant in schools and colleges to go there and people are so enthusiastic to participate. That again comes from the left-leaning culture of Kerala right. where you, you know, where people have this mindset of, you know, getting out and doing your thing related to volunteering and so forth. Um, so it, it was uh, quite nice to be able to, you know, meet a lot of people in that way, but also to spread the message related to Wikipedia and women in particular. So in 2020, you won the Women in Open Source Academic Award. Um, it's a big deal. Talk to me about this award um, and the significance of, of it to you. Uh, the Women in Open Source Academic Award, um, it uh, deals with, it's for women who contribute to open source, not just to open knowledge, but anywhere in the realm of uh, open, knowledge, uh, open source. So I was very lucky to be able to get this award. Uh, it was at that time that I was writing some of my COVID-19 related articles. And I think uh, the award was mostly for recognizing my work related to the gender gap and um, Wikipedia. Um, <clears throat> And also, and particular, and also my work related to medicine. I was, of course, very thrilled to be able to receive the award, but I could not travel to the U.S. to receive it 
because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and yeah, and that gave me, that gave my work a lot of visibility in the open source sphere. Until then, I was very much limited to open knowledge and Wikipedia and only people from the bubble of Wikipedia kind of knew me and my work and cooperated with my work. But with this, I got a little bit more visibility and I started receiving, you know, interviews, interview calls and emails and things like that. So it was very fun to disseminate my work much more into the um, internet because of the award. And um, and also the weight of having received the award is something else. Um, you have to keep up to the expectations of, you know, other people who also receive the award. They are also prominent people who have done very many different things. So it also served as a motivation for me to work even harder. Why do you think it's important that women you know, contribute to open source. And like you said, when you joined, for example, Wikipedia, there's only 9% of women in Wikipedia and that struck a chord with you. You felt that that needed to change. Why is it important for women to be part of this um, sort of information curating and sharing process? Because some people may not um, see it um, because I think it goes beyond just representation, right? Um, it, it affects the end product as well. Um, what, how do you see it? Representation and end product, you mm -hmm. put it right. When it comes to representation, we have to empower women to speak out for themselves. And the internet is for everybody. It's not just for men. So it's very important that the perspectives of women are out there to empower themselves and to make sure that their voices are heard. When, when it comes to the end product, if you miss perspectives from some people, if you miss perspectives from gender minorities, if you miss perspectives from people from, from different geographies, it's not a complete encyclopedia. You are missing. You are missing something. You have knowledge gaps because you do not have perspectives from everybody. An encyclopedia can ever be cannot ever be complete if you do not present all these diverse perspectives that come from you know different people. And often you miss perspectives just because that a person with that kind of perspective is missing missing in the in the knowledge realm so i think it um, is very important both from you know the perspective of empowering women and also from the perspective of making wikipedia a more with making wikipedia a more inclusive space making wikipedia more having more quality articles uh, that women do write articles there and we have some successes from, you know, the past work. There is a project called Women in Red, which particularly emphasizes on writing about biographies of women. Mm -hmm. And after the project has started in 2015, the percentage of um, articles related to women's biographies has increased by 3% on Wikipedia, which is really a big deal because Wikipedia has, you know, tens of thousands of biography articles and an improvement by 3%. It's quite valuable, and I think that there are these initiatives that help improve content related to women um, are very important to make Wikipedia more inclusive and, you know, also bridge these perspective gaps um, in articles that we write on Wikipedia. And before we wrap this conversation up, would you have a final message for us? My final message to anybody and everybody who listens to this is to try and edit Wikipedia related to whatever, anything that you like. And um, it's very important that your perspective is represented on Wikipedia. 
it's very important that your expertise reflects on Wikipedia because Wikipedia is a reflection of the society. So whatever happens in the society, it shows up on Wikipedia. And it's also uh, a historical reference for humankind. It sees how knowledge has evolved over time. So um, it's your participation that's most valuable to make Wikipedia a more, uh, you know, diverse and inclusive space, and also to bridge these knowledge gaps that Wikipedia now has. So my um, call for action to everybody is to try and edit Wikipedia in whatever ways that you can. And if you don't want to edit, you probably can organize events, you probably can talk with a heritage institution and try to donate their content to Wikipedia. So there are so many ways that you can participate as a Wikimedian. So come join the Wikimedia movement and people like me and uh, make Wikimedia more diverse, inclusive and complete. Neta, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much again uh, for giving me the opportunity to talk with you. <laughs> that was Neta Hussein who dedicated her time during COVID-19 to countering misinformation on Wikipedia. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Darshan Johan and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the VFM app.